Shalom, Chevra. So today we're going to delve into one of the most profound and inspiring topics of Torah thought. And it's actually a topic that's not talked about that often. It's the Sheish Zechiros, the Six Remembrances. And one of the most fundamental questions when it comes to any list is what is the nature of this list? Not everyone says it, but it's mentioned at the end of Shachras in the morning. It's mentioned in basically every single sitter. That there are six zakhira, six remembrances that we should connect ourselves to. And I'm just going to briefly go through the list. The first is we should remember Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. The second is Ma'antara. We shouldn't forget the experience of Ma'antara. The third is Zechiris Amalek. We should remember what Amalek did to us. The fourth is the Chet Egel, that we should remember the sin of the golden calf. The fifth is we should remember what happened with Miriam, Miriam's punishment for speaking Lashon Hara. And the sixth is Shabbos, of course, Yom HaShabbos Lekancho. So with any list, you basically have to ask a couple questions. First of all, what's the nature of this list? Why are we supposed to remember these six things? Number two, is there any connection between these six things? Why is it structured in this order? Why these six, why not any other six? Is this list all-inclusive? Are those the only things we're supposed to remember? And the, the basic question really gets at the significance of anything when it comes to Torah, anything when it comes to Klai Yisrael, when it comes to Judaism, is how deep is this? Is this just, these are great things to remember? Is there something fundamental going on? Why should we be remembering this every single morning? So this is, by the way, not specific to this specific list. It's basically all of Torah. If you go through Shas, you go through any Sugyan Shas, a lot of Torah has lists. They have a couple things that are mentioned. And whenever you have a list, you want to ask these questions. What's the nature of this list? Is this list all-inclusive? Is there a reason it's structured in this order? Is there a hierarchy? Is the first one the most important? How is this list working? Are there others that are included that just weren't mentioned in this list? That's basically just an important approach to every list. When it comes to these six, the real question is, what is a memory? This is a very strange thing that we have six things that we're supposed to remember. Now, when it comes to memory in general, you want to ask yourself, what is memory? What is the importance of memorizing or remembering things? And what's the Torah concept of zechira, of memory? And you can immediately start thinking, where else in Torah do we have memory? Do we have remembering? So Rosh Hashanah is Yom HaZikaron. We clearly have the mitzvah of remembering what Amalek tried to do to us. That's why we read Parsha Zachor. But this idea of sheish zechiros, of six remembrances, it's a very interesting concept. And what I want to do is I want to delve into the concept of memory to start and frame our discussion. And I want to delve into each of these six and show the depth of this list. And the best place to start is really just delving into what a memory is. The, the Torah of memory is, the memor- is, the, is essentially the concept of tracing something back to its root, back to its source. Because what happens when you remember something? You go from the present moment of time and you go back into the past to where it happened. So essentially you're taking an experience of present reality and you are walking back 
tracing it back, sourcing it back to its original root. Now that's a powerful paradigm of thinking in general. If you want to be a powerful thinker, you want to source details and expressed facts back to its underlying principles. If you're a scientist, you want to take physical phenomena and find the underlying principles and concepts. If you're a Torah thinker, you want to take halacha and trace it back to Gemara, back to Makaros and Torah, back to original Torah sources, back to underlying concepts and principles. That's what it means to live a Torah thought out, deep, meaningful life, is to say every surface has something deeper and I'm going to trace it back to its source. On Rosh Hashanah, it's Yom HaZikron, we're essentially tracing everything back to Hashem. We're also tracing everything back to the day of creation, where Hashem created the world, or at least created mankind. And the question now becomes, what are these six about? So first of all, we now have a very deep framework to structure our discussion because essentially we're talking about sourcing things back. We're talking about the concept of memory. Now, what, what are we trying to trace back here? What's the memory? What's the focus of this memory? And why these six? So this list is a very powerful list. Again, we have Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, we have Ma'an Torah, we have Amalek, we have the Egel, we have Lashon Hara, Miriam's punishment for speaking Lashon Hara. Again, obviously at her level, but still the concept. And we have Shabbos. What's the nature of this list? Why are we supposed to trace back and connect back to these six? So the real underlying concept of all six of these are the paradigmatic examples of connection. So what we're trying to remember, we're trying to connect back to is connection itself. It's becoming one with Hashem. And really, and this is where it becomes very important, that's why I framed it with the underlying questions we started with, all of Torah and all of mitzvahs are also the, the, the concept of connection and becoming one with Hashem. That is the paradigm. That's why the Maharal talks about mitzvah. The, the root, the shoresh of mitzvah is tzavta, which is the Aramaic word to connect. The whole essence of a mitzvah is Hashem has a ratzon, a will, and we connect ourselves to that will and express it in this world like a shliach. So for example, when you want to raise your hand and you raise your hand, you had a ratzon, and your, your arm became the physical shliach that expressed that will and raised your arm, raised your hand. Now if you want to do something and you can't, or you're not in the mood to, or for whatever reason you want someone else to do it, you ask them to do it, and they basically become an extension of your will and they do that which you wanted to be done. So you had the will, they did the action. That's the Torah of Shlichus. So when you learn the, the sugya of Shlichus and Shas, you learn that the topic of being a messenger, when it comes to sugyas, topics and Talmud, the essence, the essential question is what's the relationship between the shliach and the meshaleach, the messenger and the one who sent him? Because if I have a will and someone else does it, is he equivalent to me? Is he me? Is he? Are, are we both? so to speak, involved? Is it really only the Mishalech, the person who sent it? Is only the Shleach, the person who's doing it? What's the relationship between the willer and the one who adopted that will and did it? But when it comes to mitzvahs and Torah, Hashem has the Ratzon, Hashem has the will. We, that's the famous Mishnah of us. We connect ourselves to Hashem's will. We express that will in the world, and thus we basically become the expressions of Hashem's will, and we connect ourselves to Hashem, becoming 
the revelation of Hashem's will in this world is a powerful way of approaching Torah mitzvahs, as we are literally not only becoming godly, we are expressing Hashem himself, Hashem's will, by attaching ourselves to it, connecting ourselves to it, and then expressing the physical expression. So it's a powerful way of approaching all of Torah. So now the question is like this. If all of Torah is about connection, connecting to ourselves, to our higher selves, our true selves, connecting to Hashem, connecting to the Ratzon Hashem, connecting to other members of Klai Yisrael, if everything is about building the interconnectivity, that oneness, so why, why are these six important? And if Zahir, if the concept of memory is connecting yourselves back to a source root, a source principle, a source idea, and if that's really the essential concept of memory, and then all of Torah is about connection, so we're getting back to really the root concepts of what we're supposed to be connecting to and expressing in this world. And now I can start opening up why these six are the paradigmatic six, because it starts out very simply, right? What's the first one? Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. What is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? What's the, what is Exodus? What is the, the leaving of Mitzrayim? When we left Mitzrayim, the entire episode, the entire story of leaving Mitzrayim is Hashem's revelation in this world. That, that's the entire purpose. That's why the whole Seder night, the whole essence of Pesach, is tapping into Emunah Bitacha and Hashem's gilui in this world and the fact that Hashem exists. That was, the, the Ramban talks about that the main purpose of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was to reject all the claims of the Apikarsim, those who reject Hashem's existence. Some people say Hashem doesn't exist. Some people say Hashem exists, but he is the clockmaker theory, that he created the world and left. Some people say Hashem created the world and he's still here, but he's not all powerful. He just can't control all the powerful evil people in the world. So the Makos revealed that Hashem exists, he's still here, there's Hashkocha, and he's all powerful. And it was a very powerful revelation of Hashem's koach and Hashem's existence. And in truth, not that Hashem exists, but that we exist within Hashem. That's the deepest principle of understanding Hashem, is that things that exist are things that you point to when you say this, right? This exists. We exist, but true existence is the source of existence, as in Hashem is not a thing. He's not even an idea. Hashem is the source of things and the source of ideas. So Hashem is referred to as the makom. A makom is a place. Now, physically, a place is where you put something, right? So if you want to have a glass of water, then you need a place to put it. But in depth, in deeper Torah thought, the Ramachal talks about how a makom is a potentiality. So we exist because Hashem willed us into existence. So we exist. Hashem doesn't exist because there's no place in which Hashem existed that would limit Hashem to being. Hashem is the source of being, the source of existence. So Hashem created existence. Hashem also is within existence. That's the whole essence of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. The Hashem is here, and He's fully powerfully present within the world, but He's not limited to the world. The world is within Him. That's you know, the basic concept, essentially. It's symptom without getting into all the complications. So what's the idea? The idea is that Yitzhak Mitzrayim was the starting point of Hashem's revelation in the world. It was where we realized that we are not alone, that there is a God, and that He cares, that He's all-powerful, that He chose us, that we are, you know, protected, so to speak, that we won't be destroyed by the Mitzvah. But there are some things that have not yet been clarified. And that's why Ma'an Torah is so important. Why? Well, what hasn't yet been clarified? Well, first of all, 
who is Hashem? Second of all, who are we? Third of all, what's our purpose here? Fourth of all, what's the relationship between us and Hashem? A lot being, you can intellectually know that Hashem exists and not know anything about Him. So the rational intellectual approach to Torah, which, by the way, is a very prevalent approach to Torah, is that you could know nothing about Hashem. You just know that He exists and He wants you to do Torah mitzvahs, and that's basically it. You know, it's like you do, it's not a relationship. Like when you marry your spouse, you spend your whole life experiencing the depth and interconnection between the two. It's a very intimate relationship. It's marriage. The Ramban explains that the nature of the relationship between Christ and Hashem is marriage. So if that's the nature of the relationship, we can't just know that Hashem exists. We have to have something more. So that's why the Bali Mechshav talk about how Ma'an Torah was that next layer. It's not just the rational, philosophical Hashem exists check mark. It's expanding the experiential and deeper inner relationship of what Hashem is, who we are, what we're supposed to actually be doing, why we're supposed to be doing it. It's a higher level of experience. And the best way to frame it is understanding the layers and levels of, of connecting to Hashem. So for example, when you're very, very young, you're a child, you believe in Hashem because your parents told you Hashem exists. And then you might believe in Hashem because you feel that, you know, Hashem is part of your life. You just feel you see Hashgacha, you, you know, you missed the bus and the bus got into an accident or you did something and this happened or you happened to go to that place and everything worked out perfectly. You put the ticket in the lottery, you won the, whatever the happenstance Hashgacha part of the story that you got, you say like, wow, like Hashem's, you know, Hashem loves me. Hashem's part of my life. And, and that's very important, but it's definitely not good enough. And essentially, you get to the point where other people who are more rational, philosophical question you. Like, you know, for example, the classic example is 9-11, like people who didn't go to work that day. So anyone who's a critic will say like, okay, great, like that's not God, that's not Hashem, that's just, you know, you didn't go to work that day, your life was saved. Now, the next layer is philosophical. You get very rational and you get analytical and you get into your cerebral intellectual mind and you say wait a second everything in this world came from something i came from my parents this animal came from this 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 the you know the bread came from wheat and everything comes from something where did the world come from so the world must have come from god or the world is so it's the design is incredible you learn chemistry and biology and physics the world has an order a structure a beauty to it someone must have designed it like the the chances of the world being as incredible as it is it's the same chances as if a tornado went through a garbage dump and out came this incredibly beautiful set of cars from all this junk. You know, it's like, is it possible that that would happen? Yes. Is it likely? Is it like, is there any possible scenario where you can actually say this is fathomly possible? Like, no, it must be that this wasn't a random accident that the world actually has a designer. Okay, so then you get you start going into all other philosophical proofs. Now, are those proofs perfect? Can you reject them? Can you argue with them? Of course. But are they good? They're definitely good. Is it enough to believe in God? Yes, it's enough to believe in God. But that's not what we want in life. We don't just want to believe in God. We want something more. And there's a deeper type of connecting to God. It's a type of knowledge that's post-rational. It's not irrational. It's post-rational. 
It's the type of knowledge that you can't explain rationally, but you just know in a deep experiential way. That's not emotional. It's not fluffy. It's the deepest type of knowledge. It's beyond knowledge. It's experience. It's the experience of, number one, how do you know you're awake right now? When you were sleeping and dreaming, you thought you were awake. When you were having a nightmare, you thought you were awake. So how do you know you're awake right now? How do you know that you weren't born 60 seconds ago with all your memories? How do you know that you have free will? How do you know that the sun is going to come up tomorrow? How do you know that your parents are your parents? How do you know that, and by the way, some of these, for example, the fact that you know that you're awake, you know. The fact that you know that you have free will, even if it's impossible to actually detect based on scanners because they can't see an agency that creates the output. They just see input-output. So based on modern technology, we can question free will. Th that's existential. That's a deep inner awareness. The fact that your parents are your parents, the fact that the sun's going to come up tomorrow, that's assumption. That's we just basically rely on the fact that you can never actually know. Like there's no proof that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. And you can't actually prove that your parents are your parents. Technically, you can try to get DNA samples, you can figure these things out, but you, you assume these things. But there are levels of, for example, how do you know that your life has meaning? How do you know that you were born for a reason? How do you know that you're not just a physical being? The answer is that there's no proof, because science can only track and detect physical phenomena. We can only measure that which is measurable. The infinite, even the realm of consciousness, is immeasurable and detectable in terms of physical tools, so to speak. And it's not to say that we'll never be able to get closer, but we definitely can't now. And that's why science is a very difficult time with the fact that we are dealing with consciousness and we know consciousness exists, but we can't really tell you anything about it scientifically. Like self-awareness is, is, is the, the most valuable entity in the world, and it's not scientific because it's not calculatable, it's not measurable, you can't see it on a screen. It can't really do all that science does. And it's this post-rational, experiential, deeper, it's like the fact that you are not a physical being, but there's something inside of you, and you say, I, you're referring to your inner self, your inner consciousness, your inner awareness. That's what we mean when we say that you're in neshama. You don't have an ashama, you are an ashama, your soul, a self, an inner consciousness. And essentially, that's what Ma'antara was. Ma'antara was meaning, Anochi, Hashem Elkecha, I, the many, many of the Balam Hashavah talk about how Anochi, the great El, the great self, the great I, that's a Baruch. And when we say I, we're a small I. Like we're basically, it's like, you know, the, the, the Russian astronauts, when they went out to outer space, they basically came back, and one of the guy asked one of the Russian astronauts, did you see God? And he said, absolutely not. Like, what do you think? I was going to go out there and see God? No. So wh wh what's that conversation? That conversation assumes that God is out there somewhere, that he's a physical giant being out there in the sky. But Hashem isn't deeper out there. He's deeper in you, as in he's the root of existence, the root of consciousness, the root of self. And you don't go further out into the world to connect Hashem, you go further into yourself. And that's like the lech lecha journey of going to your ultimate self is going deeper into yourself, which is why the spiritual journey is the, a journey of awareness and consciousness and depth and wisdom and inner wisdom.
So the essence of the Ma'antar experience was an experience, a deep experience of Nevuah, a deep experience of prophecy, a deep experience of Hashem. And we, we met HaKadosh Baruch Hu's otherworldly experience. That's why the Midrashim talk about how and Chazal describe how our neshamas, we basically just left our bodies. It was a transcendent experience. And yet it was a transcendent experience still in this world. That was the depth of it. And the whole essence of Ma'an Torah is taking the experience of Yetzirah Mitzrayim to the next level. Yetzirah Mitzrayim, the Ramchal describes this. And Yetzirah Mitzrayim is the intellectual realization that Hashem exists. Ma'an Torah is the experiential nature of that relationship of Hashem, of us, of who we are, who we're supposed to become. That's why it's tied into the receiving of the Torah, because we basically met our source and how we're supposed to express that into the world, which is what it means to be an Avid Hashem, to devote your life not only to learning Torah, but living Torah, expressing that into the world. And that's why the Ramban says powerfully that out of all the Sheikh Shachirs, out of all the six remembrances, the only one that doesn't say you should remember, but says, Al Tishkach, don't forget is Ma'antara. Because what does it mean to remember? It means you forgot it. You have to go back into your mind and retrieve it. But don't forget means never let it leave the forefront of your consciousness. Because intellect, intellect, you basically recall your intellectual knowledge. If someone asks you to solve an intellectual problem, you go back and you solve the problem. But there are certain things that you don't need to remember. You don't need to remember that you exist. You don't need to remember that you're alive. You don't need to remember your name. You need to remember facts and things, but your essence you don't forget. That's Ma'an Torah. And so the Ramban says that we expanded the experience of Ma'an Torah first into the Mishkan, then Beis HaMikdash, then the Beis Madrid, Beis Mem, and the, the Bat Midrashim, and, and the Shuls, and the Bat Knasiyot. That the essence of, of what it means to live as a Jew is to live with a consciousness of I am, I exist, I have purpose in this world, and I'm expressing my connection with Hashem out into the world as an Evan Hashem. Always connecting deeper to myself, always connecting deeper to Hashem, and always expressing that and connecting and, and sharing all that truth out into the world. That's why the essence of the Ma'atar experience, Hashem told us, Atem Eidah, you're my witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is someone who, who testifies about an experience and recreates that experience for those who weren't there. So what do you do when you're a witness? You saw something, you go into court, and you share, you express that into the court. Which, by the way, is a big, the whole sugi when it comes to Sanhedrin, are the, are the judges really creating anything, or the, do the judges create an environment where the witnesses, the Edim, can recreate the original experience, and they're really creating everything. So the Edim aren't just testifying, and the judges are doing everything. The Edim are doing everything. They're creating the truth, recreating the truth for the court, and the Sanhedrin are really just there to basically put a staple on it and say, yes, you know, we are solidifying that which the Edom are doing. It's essentially the question of, are the Sanhedrin really doing everything or are the Edom really doing everything? And the more you think that testifying is recreating the experience and sharing it, even though no one there in the court was there, they're now getting the knowledge because it was recreated. So when Hashem says, Atem Eidai by by the Ma'antor experience, that we're supposed to be Hashem's witnesses, that means that all of Kla Yishul is supposed to recreate that Ma'antor experience for generations to come in terms of their progeny and for the world. Like, we are supposed to be that or light. What does light do? Light reveals. What, what's Torah? Torah is orisa. 
right? That's Torah has the root or. Light reveals. You don't see the light. You see what the light reveals. So when we learn Torah, we tap into truth. When we live Torah, we share that truth, express it out for everyone to tap into as well. And obviously there's layers and levels in terms of you don't teach Torah to, to, to the world. You teach Torah to Klai Yisrael. But in terms of representing Torah, representing a higher type of life, that's really our job is to be that type of witness. So that's why the Ramban explains that it's not about remembering Ma'an Torah, it's about never forgetting Ma'an Torah. Because the essence of Ma'an Torah, the essence of Ma'an Torah is tapping into the very root of the highest form of experience, the highest form of nuvua. That's why all of Klai Yisrael became Nivim. And it was, it was too much for Klai Yisrael. It's why only the first Dibra, Really, only you know the first day that we were able to really handle, and then we told Moshe that you know can you do the rest and then tell it to us. We had to have a level of separation. It was the highest form of experience imaginable, and it was a gift. And all of life is about recreating that stage that we once attained, that stage of true connection to our highest selves, to all of Klai Yisrael, the real oneness of Klai Yisrael, it's the ideal oneness of Klai Yisrael, and then tapping in to tapping into the true oneness of Klai Baruch Hu. And it's just the deepest realization that there's so much that you and I can attain, and the the capacity for human consciousness and human growth and our ability to tap into deeper and deeper layers of understanding and not just intellectual, cerebral, philosophical understanding, not just analytical understanding, not just breaking down sigis and shas, but really delving into existential questions of why am I, who am I, what am I, what am I really capable of? What is my potential? What is my limit? And Ma'an Torah serves as the pinnacle, as the literally, like, I can always go further. I can always connect Hashem in a deeper way. And I don't need to choose, am I going to be an intellectual? Am I going to be an existentialist? Am I going to be someone who works on my midos? Am I going to be a great husband or wife? Am I going to be a great parent? Am I going to succeed financially? Am I going to be in great physical shape? No, it's living a life of oneness, harmony, and truth in all layers, all levels, physical, spiritual, and everything in between. So what comes to stop us from doing that? What serves as the challenge in life? It's the third Zechira. Zechira is Amalek. What did Amalek try to do? Let's try to understand this. This is the deepest struggle of life. It's, the, it's, it's understanding what Amalek is. So on a very, very simple level, we've talked about this many, many times, but on a very simple level, Amalek serves to disconnect us from Hashem, disconnect us from ourselves, disconnect us from truth, disconnect us from heightened experience in all dimensions of spiritual life, in all dimensions of spiritually physical life. What is the introduction of Amalek? So we're first introduced to Amalek. The Torah says, Asher karcha we're on our way to Ma'an Torah, and Amalek sees that we are weak, we're susceptible to being attacked, and they attack us from behind. What's the essence of that attack? So Rashi gives three examples, three explanations of Shekarcha Baderch. The first is Karcha is happenstance. Kara, happenstance. The second is Keri, spiritual impurity. And the third is Kar, is, is, is to cool off, to cool off the flame, the passion, the excitement that we had. And the analogy that Rashi gives, according to the Midrash, is that if there's a, a, a scolding hot 
pot of boiling water, if you jump into the pot, you cool it off even though you burn yourself. So Amalek sees Kleistral, they see Kleistral who's about to receive the Torah, and they go and they do this suicidal attack. Why? So the essence of Amalek is to disconnect us and all of reality from the truth. And why? Because that's their very existence. Their very existence is the gap between us and Hashem. So Hashem is not openly revealed in the world right now. We don't see oneness. We don't experience oneness. You see two-ness. So you're here, I'm here, you're there, I'm over there, I eat this, I do this. We live in the world of time where one thing happens after another. It's disparateness, it's two-ness, it's physicality, it's brokenness, it's shatteredness, it's fragmentation. It's a world of two-ness. And by the way, that's why the world was created with a base. Beratius Baralakim. The experience of Antara was going back to Aleph, going back to oneness. Anochi Hashem Right. So Beratius starts with a base because the creation of the world was a creation of physicality from two-ness. That's why it was a creation of bracha. So the Maharal explains bracha is beis, reish, chaf, all letters of two-ness. The world was creating tunis from oneness, where the tunis is an expression of oneness. Now, what's Ma'an Torah? It's connecting back to the original source of oneness, connecting back to Hashem. So that transcendent experience was going back to Aleph. That's why it starts with Aleph, Anochi, Hashem Elokechem. Now, what's Amalek? Amalek comes to attack that reconnection, to maintain the gap. Why? Because the essence of a Amalek is maintaining that gap. That's what a Amalek's existence is. That's the purpose of a Amalek. Now you need to understand that, how powerful that is. That means that why would they go under, why would they engage in a suicidal attack? Because it, it, it's, it's literally what they are. They are the gap. So if they don't attack, the gap is closed. They cease to exist. If they attack, yes, they'll be burned. A lot of them will die. But that's their essential existence. And to save your life, you do anything. It's also not only to save their life, it is their life. It's their purpose, it's their existence, is to maintain the gap. Why? Why is their essence to maintain the gap? What is Amalek? So a couple layers. Number one is, who comes from Amalek? Haman. Haman comes from Amalek. The essence of Purim is poor, a lot, a lottery. What's a lottery? It's chance, happenstance. That's kara, right? Happenstance. What's keri? Carry is spiritual impurity. It's basically breaking down the, the, the essential spiritual component of marriage. Why? Because what happens in marriage? You have Tash Shamita, physical intimacy. Now, if there's no spiritual essence, then that's just two animals having pleasure. That's not a spiritual act. And what else, you know, in terms of the third layer? So you have Kara happenstance, you have breaking down the spiritual connection of marriage, saying we're just physical beings. There's no higher, there's no spiritual consciousness when it comes to physical life. It's this world is devoid of meaning and purpose. This world is devoid of spirituality. We're not connected to Hashem at all. The physical is not connected to the spiritual. It's not Istakal Baraisa Bar Alma, the Hakash Baruch who used this, the Torah to create the physical world, that the physical world is an expression of the spiritual, like a, a tree is an expression of a seed, and a human being is an expression of a zygote. And when you look on a screen, you see the expression that came out of the projector. The world's not expression, so it's a meaningless creation, or maybe it is a creation. Maybe there is a God, but he has nothing to do with us, nothing to do with this world. What What is the the... the essence of Amalek's mission now is to maintain that disconnect. So what happens? We're about to receive the Torah. We're about to receive our connection to Hashem. And Amalek goes and they jump into that pot. They cool off the flame. 
And they not only the Kuf Lim, the Midrash says that the whole world was going to accept the Torah because they went over the Bilam, and when Kriyas Yamsuf happened, not only the waters and, and the Amsuf split, the waters all over the world split, and they went over the Bilam, who's their prophet, and they said, like, is Hashem doing the Mabal again? Like, what's happening? Hashem going to destroy the world? And he said, no, Hashem is Hashem's giving the Torah to Klai Yisrael. All the nations of the world were going to accept the Torah with Klai Yisrael. And Amalek went and showed, no, no, Klai Yisrael, they're not, they're not anything special. Right? The, the, what happened when they attacked? Some of the members of Klai Yisrael died. And Moshe had to keep his arms up. When his arms were up, then Klai Yisrael were succeeding. When his arms were down, they weren't. Which the deeper meaning of that is when we looked up and we saw, we looked up as in like conceptually saw that everything was coming from Hashem. We were successful in battle. But when we looked down, not that Moshe's arms were down, when we looked down, we didn't see that it was coming from Akash Baruch Hu, that is when we said, oh, it must be on us to succeed when we weren't looking up, and that's when we weren't succeeding. It's a very deep concept. It's the same thing when it comes to the plague that we had to look at the serpent uh, that was wrapped around um, the the staff, wrapped around uh, the copper staff. There are very, very deep ideas here we're not going to go into now, but the idea is not that that was the solution, but it was when we looked up and recognized that everything's coming from Hashem, that that actually was the real solution. That, that's what helped us. So that, that battle against the Amalek essentially stopped all of the, the whole humanity from accepting the Torah, which is Amalek's successful mission. Amalek succeeded. Like, we think we succeeded, we survived, and we went and accepted the Torah. Yes, it was a small victory. It wasn't a capital V victory because the rest of the world walked away. So Amalek did succeed. Now, what's the concept? Why is this Amalek's essence? Why is Haman coming from Malik doing this poor, this lottery of happenstance? We happen to fall out on other. Oh, that's great. That's when Moshe died. What's this idea of happenstance? What's this idea of doubt? So Amalek's root, Amalek's very root. First of all, Amalek uh, comes from a Pilagish, right? Eliphaz, son of Esav, had Amalek with a, a Pilagish, which itself is a non there's no condition, there's no spiritual connection when it comes to that marriage. So Amalek's very existence comes from a non-genuine marriage, which shows like the very source of Amalek's philosophy comes from his literal birth, his little creation. But Amalek, the essence of Amalek, the essence of Haman, the Gemara actually asks, Haman Minayan, where does Haman come from, right? And it says that Haman come from Hamin Ha'etz, back from when Adam and Chava ate from the Eitz They essentially were embarrassed that they were naked, and they went and they hid from Hashem. Can you imagine? They hid from Hashem. And what does, what does Hashem ask Adam after they eat from the Eitz and they're hiding from Hashem, if you can imagine that? Hashem asked them, Hamin Ha'etz, did you eat from the tree? Now, what's going on here? We can't go into this now because it's a really whole topic. It's a very deep topic. It'll take us a couple hours to develop, and we've given a share on this beforehand. But the the essential concept here is that Adam eating from the Eitz was Adam trying to take his avodah Hashem into his own hands. Hashem told him, don't. He thought better. He thought, I'm going to. I'm going to serve Hashem in my way. What ends up happening then is the whole world falls. Adam goes from being a spiritual, transcendent being to a physical being. Our bodies become very corporeal. The Ramban explains that we became so physical, now the body can no longer contain the shaman's ideal way. So now the body starts to break down. That's why we age. That's why we die. That's the essence of mortality. 
and aging didn't happen right away. And the Chazal say that only later on did we start to actually age by the time of the Avos. Uh, that's why Yitzchak started to age because he actually looked exactly like Avram. So it's a whole, we're not going to go into all those details right now. But the, the concept that we became mortal. Not only did we become mortal, but the Nachash, which used to be outside of us, entered into us. So that realm of, you can call it evil, it's a lot deeper than just evil, but all that the Nachash represented was no longer a voice outside of us, but now a voice inside of us, as Odessa explains. And the most important concept that shifted is we went from having absolute clarity. And the Rambam, the, Rambam, the Rambam talks about this in terms of we used to see things as true and false, and now things became more complicated. What happened is after the Isanas, we started to have suffix. Now, Amalek has the gematria of suffix, the same gematria. Now, if you don't understand the depth of the gematrias, if you hear gematrias that just sound contrived and you lose respect, then that's fine. But the real gematrias, the gematrias that are actually rooted in, in Chazal and the Arizal and the Ramchal and things like that, it's the essential genetics of words. So Amalek's essence is suffix. Why? Because what is suffix? Suffolk is doubt. What's doubt? Doubt is the lack of clarity. What's the lack of clarity when you're not in touch with something? If a malik represents the gap between us and Hashem, between us and truth, that is the essential concept of doubt. Doubt is I don't know. So it used to be that the Nachash's voice was outside of us. Now, after eating from the Eitzadas, the Nachash connected to us, we have that voice inside of us. We have that Amalek voice inside of us. Where's the root of Haman? Hamin Ha'etz. Who's saying Hamin Ha'etz? Hashem. Hashem is saying, did you eat from the tree? Hashem doesn't know if we eat from the tree. What kind of crazy question? Hashem doesn't know? But that's the whole point is Hashem acts, Chazal say, Nef Shachayim explains, like a shadow. A shadow reflects your actions. The way that you act with Hashem, Hashem acts with you. So you act as if Hashem doesn't know what you're doing. You're hiding behind a tree as if Hashem can't see you. You eat from the Eitzadas when Hashem told you not to. You think you can live a life of Shekhar. You can live a life where I don't know what you're doing. You think when you're in a room by yourself, Hashem doesn't see what you're doing. Okay, I'm going to act with you the way you act with me. I'm going to, you act with me, Bikeri. You act with me, you know, with happenstance, kara. I'm going to treat you the way that you act as if you can live in alignment with me. As in the relationship you build with Hashem, Hashem builds right back with you. So that essential concept of doubt, of I don't know. I don't know what the truth is. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I am, why I am. That confusion of hiding behind a tree, of being embarrassed of his nakedness because he became physical. And now all of a sudden they're embarrassed. So you think you can hide from Hashem? Now Hashem is going to say, oh, I don't know. Hamin ha'etz, did you eat from the tree? As in the very nature and concept of doubt in its express form that we experience today, that birth was the birth of Amalek, the birth of Haman. That's the essential concept. And that Doubt, that chance, that happenstance, that's Haman's very nature. Pulling, a, 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 you know, the, the, having a lottery in terms of when are we going to kill the Jews. I don't know, let's leave it up to chance, so to speak. But not just, you know, there's depth here because it's not just total chance. But it's saying that maybe there is no meaning to anything. Maybe there is no wisdom to anything. And that's... By the way, there is a paradox there. We're not going to go into this now, but there is a little bit of a conflict because 
you know, Haman was very happy with where it turned out. So on the one hand, there's the there's the, the, the kara and the, the randomness and the happenstance. On the other hand, there's believing that things will still align with my evil intentions. So Haman's very happy that the date that was pulled out was the seventh of other was Adar was essentially when Moshe Rabbeinu died, and he was very happy with his lot, so to speak, with his luck. And yet, obviously, we know the depth of it. It's that not only was Moshe did Moshe die in that day, he was also born. So the very death was also the very birth. That's the ultimate v'nahavachu, which is a very deep concept in itself. But the concept of a malik is essentially it's paralyzing your vigor and excitement to live a life of truth. It's entering into a realm of doubt. And this is something which people experience all the time. They want to devote themselves to certain areas of growth, certain areas of commitment, certain areas of focus. And all of a sudden they say, is this really worth it? Should I really do this? Is this the best use of my time? Am I going to succeed? What will people think of me? What if I do this and it was the wrong decision? What if Hashem doesn't really want to do that? What if Hashem, what if Hashem doesn't exist? Well, of course Hashem doesn't exist. But what if, and all of a sudden you have all these questions inside your head and it destabilizes your momentum, which is essentially paralysis. It, it paralyzes you and stops you from achieving that which you should be achieving because you overthink, you over-question, you create doubt when you don't need that doubt. And doubt is essentially just break it. It's a brake pedal on the car. It stops you from moving forward. And a malik represents that attempt to disconnect us from the truth, from stopping everyone to connect the truth, not just Kleistral, the whole world. And it's essentially the inner battle that we all face with ourselves of connecting to our higher selves, connecting in a higher form of marriage, connecting to all of Kalei Yisrael, connecting to Torah, to the Ratzon Hashem, living a life of Torah, and impacting and living and expressing that life of Torah truth out into the world. And the powerful concept is that it's not just Amalek as a nation. Amalek uh, it's, a, it's a very deep idea. Amalek is a concept. Anyone, any nation can attach themselves to the concept of Amalek. And even Kleistral can tap into the concept of Amalek. And that's why the next Zechira is the Chet Egel. Now, what's the Chet Egel? The Chet Egel is an aspect of Amalek. And by the way, Amalek, the, the root of Amalek is also Malika, which is to cut off, the Malikas have the coin, would cut off the head of the bird as part of the shechita process for the carbon. And that's essentially the concept of a Malik, is cutting off the higher from the lower, the spiritual from the, from the physical, which is very deep. And by the way, a Malik's father was Esav, and Esav, his guf, was not good, as in he didn't live an expression of truth. But his intellect was good, and his, high, his teshuva at the end of his life is that when he was killed, his head rolled into Yaakov's kever, Yaakov's, um, his grave, and he was, his head was buried with Yaakov, because Esau's head was good. It was that disconnect, and uh, of course, Amalek is Esau's grandchild, so that idea is very deeply rooted as this disconnect from head and body, from spiritual and physical, from the intellect and the mind, and the koach hamoach, to the expression through action and ice in the physical world, that disconnect is very deep. And the ultimate tikkun of living a life of truth is living a life of oneness. We have that harmony of physical and spiritual, of male and female, of infinite and finite, of 
the world of Torah and Ruchnius and Gashmius and money and physical, and understanding how the synthesis works, how you express the spiritual through the physical. And it's not only uplifting the physical to make the physical not physical, it's uplifting the physical by expressing the spiritual through the physical. So it's not that I'm not eating food, it's I'm eating food in a transcendent way. It's not that I'm not having Tasha Shamita, you know, intimate connection with between man and wife. It's I'm doing it in a very mindful, deep, intimate, meaningful way. It's not that I'm not making money. It's that I'm making money in a meaningful way and doing meaningful things with that money. It's understanding how to live a transcendently imminent life, not a transcendent life or a physical life, or doing both, but disconnecting the two, but learning how to really bridge the gap and build a greater and greater sense of harmony between those two things. And that's really the ticket of Amalek. But Amalek kind of became part of not only an external concept where you have the Nazis, you know, how, how a lot of modern Jewish thinkers talk about how the Nazis embodied Amalek and in a very, very deep way, very, very deep way. But the, the essential concept of what Amalek did, Klai Yisrael somewhat tapped into and came to the ego. So what, what's the Chet Egel? Chet Egel, the sin of the golden calf, very, very deep idea. Very deep idea. The real idea is it, it, it ruined the deep connection between us and Hashem. The famous Maimur Chazal that every single sin after the Chet Egel has a, a layer of the Chet Egel and every single Kapara is still being Mechaper for the Chet Egel. It's the root of all sin. And in a deep way, the reason it's the root of all sin is because it's very deeply connected to Avodazar. Avodazar is the root of all sin. All of mitzvos is the first dibra of the Sersa Dibros. All of the Dibros is connecting to the reality of Anochi Hashem al All of the mitzvos are connecting to Hashem as a sort of the source of existence. All of Averos are tapping into disconnecting us from Hashem. Hashem has a ratzon, a will. Our job is to connect to that will and express it in this world. Anytime we don't listen to that will of Hashem, we're essentially disconnecting ourselves from Hashem. We're disconnecting ourselves from reality. And we are essentially rejecting the first dipper of Hashem's existence. So all of Averos are subcategories of Avodah All of mitzvahs are subcategories of us connecting and believing and living a life of that's the, the most basic structure of Torah life is there are only two elements. One is mitzvahs asay, which is connecting to anochi Hashem. The other mitzvahs los asay, which is our subcategories of avodazar, of disconnecting from reality, of not listening and, and tapping in to the true nature of reality and the true Ratzon Hashem. Now, what was Chet Hegel? What was the problem with Chet Hegel? Chet Hegel is the first Klali example of Avodah Zarah. And the most basic and famous question was, was it actually Avodah Zarah? Rashi thinks it's Avodah Zarah Mamish, it's actually Avodah Zarah. The Ramban, Rehuda uh, Levi, Kuzari, and many others think that it wasn't actually Avodah Zarah. It was just that we weren't commanded to do it. So what's the, what's the big idea here? So the big idea here is like this. Well, what's Avodah Let's start with this. Avodah is not serving statues or stars or suns or clouds or skies and mountains. The essence of Avodah is understanding that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world. But the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world is not just Hashem and the world, but there are 
there are layers and levels, just like it's not like you're just a simple person, but you have many layers and levels of yourself. You have your self-awareness, your inner consciousness, you have your intellectual and imaginative faculties, you have your emotional state, you have your physical body, you have how you express yourself out into the world in terms of your facial expressions and the things you say, the things that you do, your relationships, your job, your impact, how you, like, there are layers to yourself. The same way there are layers to every concept in Torah. Pardes, right? you have Pshat, Remes, Drash, Sod. Deepening your understanding as you go deeper and deeper into the topic. So the same way that there's layers to almost everything that you can ever wrap your head around, there are layers to how Hashem created the world. Hashem didn't just create the world, but He created this system of flowing from pure, pure, infinite spiritual root to a more expressed physical reality. And it's emanation, it's like the sun. The rays of the sun come from the sun towards earth. It's not just a sun and light, but there's this emanation process. It's the same thing when it comes to watching a seed express itself into a tree and a zygote express itself into a full human being. It's not just one then the other, there are stages of expression. So the same way that Kodesh Baruch creates stages of expression, now why? So you can basically root it in a very famous Maimer Chazal and Perkehavos, that Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't just express the world into existence, but there are ten dibros of creation. Just like there's a series of dibros when it comes to Mount Torah, there's, there are ten amiros, ten, ten dibros, ten, ten sayings of creation to give tzaddikim more zechuyos. What, what's the idea? The idea is that the whole concept of this world is trying to tap into, connect ourselves to truth, and express that. So as opposed to just being a simple process, there are stages. And part of it is more zuchus, part of it is so that you can understand a deeper layer, and a deeper layer, and a deeper layer. It's kind of when you learn any topic, you learn math. You don't just learn calculus, you learn basic addition and subtraction, then you learn multiplication and division, then you learn, you learn layer after layer, deeper principle after deeper principle. It's the same thing when it comes to existence. There's the root and there's the physical expression, and there's layer and layer from the physical expression to the root. You don't just go behind, it's not like you open a window, you go behind one layer and you're there. You go step by step, one rung after another rung. It's the idea that there are layers of Bina, and Moshe Bina got to the highest layer of Bina, highest level of Bina, but there are levels. And that's the idea that the physical world is the expression and there are levels of spiritual existence between us and the absolute root and the essential nature of shefa, of flow, of the connection between root and expression is those layers of existence, those layers of flowing from existence. And if you think of the way Nefesh HaChaim explains is you can think of the world as the light bulb and Hashem as the source of electricity. And you don't just have light in the light bulb, it's getting its light from the energy that's coming from its source. So the physical world is lit up with light in existence, but that original source of energy is coming from Hashem, and it's flowing. If there's any time where that energy is not flowing to the light bulb, it's not gonna be lit. So what's the concept? The concept is that all of spiritual thinking, all of spiritual life is tracing things back to its original source of shefa, original source of life and energy and meaning and purpose. And avodazara is getting stuck within the intermediaries, getting stuck in the middle stages. Now, why would you get stuck in the middle stages? So the Rambam actually explains how it originally happened. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a world 
where there is this idea where, yes, there's Hashem, there's the expression, and there's Malachim, there's whole stages of intermediaries in between that are receiving their existence from Hashem and expressing it into this physical world. And at first, people want to acknowledge the importance and significance of those intermediaries. So you say, oh, like the koach, the power of light and of love and meaning and wisdom and water and rain and, you know, sustenance and war and all. It's like, think of the Greek gods. They're like essentially the gods of different kochos, different abilities and powers. And Elohim is bala kochos kulam. That's how uh, Yosef Cairo describes the nature of Elohim. Uh, Elohim is how we refer to Hashem in this world, expressing himself into this world. That's why judges are referred to as Elohim. And you can say Elohim because they're the human parallel of Elohim because they're supposed to represent Hashem's midas hadin of expressing, enacting, and enabling the living of Torah and living of Allah and living of truth in this world. So the essential concept of how Kadesh Baruch Hu's expression in this world is through intermediaries, through all these different kochos. And Hashem is Elohim Baal Kochos Kulab. He is the source and real controller and owner, so to speak, of all of those kochos. But what happens, what happens, as the Rambam explains, is that people start to say, I want to give kavod to everything. Like Hashem is expressing himself through this world, through uh, rain and through the sun and through the mountains and through this and through love and through wisdom and through kindness and through uh, strength and through all these different kochos. And I'm going to start to give them kavod. What happens is you start giving them kavod and you stop sourcing them back to Hashem. So is it okay to give them kavod as an expression of giving kavod? What's kavod? Kavod is honor. What's honor? Honor is you acknowledge something as truth. You say, I'm respecting you. I, I admire you. I look up to you because you, you think of the people in your life that you respect. Why do you respect them? Because they represent truth. They've done something great, significant that you admire, you respect, and you want to both be like them and you're also just a little bit overwhelmed by them and maybe you don't have the courage to talk to them or speak to them or send them messages, but you still look up to them because they so embody that which you think is true and important and significant and real. So you give kavod to Hashem. Why? Because He's the ultimate source of truth and, and realness and significance and anything that's important. So the more kavod you give to something, it should be in alignment with the fact that it represents truth. So giving kavod to these intermediaries is because they're not Hashem, but they still are expressing Hashem. Why do you give kavod to a Talmud Chacham? Or to your parents, you give cover to your parents because they created you. They're your source. You give cover to Tuhamad Chacham because they represent Hashem. They've embodied and connected themselves to Torah. So, yes, part of the covenant is to them, but really a lot of the covenant is to what they represent, which is Torah and Hashem. That's why there's a whole debate. Can they give up their covenant? Why would they be able to? Because they're, you know, they're, they're not them. They want to give up their, their, their humble. Why can't they? It's not their covenant to give up. It's Hashem's, it's the Torah. So, it's not so pasha. It's not so simple. But this is a very powerful idea. The powerful idea is that real avodazara, at its root, is just making a simple mistake and getting stuck in the intermediaries instead of sourcing yourself back to Hashem. And that's how the Rambam explains that originally they started out with good intentions, but then they just stopped sourcing back to Hashem. They started just giving kavod to the intermediaries. So it's not worshipping rocks and stones and trees. It's worshipping all of the expression of goodness and tov and, and existence and life and meaning in this world, but not sourcing back to its ultimate root. Now, the deep idea of Avodah Zarah 
is that what did Avodah essentially become? It became connecting to depth and to meaning and to existence, but not in the right way. So why would one do that? So what's the desire? What's our deepest desire in life? Our deepest desire in life is to be real and alive and live a life of meaning and purpose and to feel like we are significant and to feel like we're getting that which we want to get and to feel like our life is heading in the right direction. What's living a Torah life? Living a Torah life is living that life for a life of responsibility, ultimate responsibility. It's a life of being an Eved Hashem, of saying I have a life of chiv, things I have to do. Now, what's Avodah Zarah? So a great analogy is think of Avodah Zarah as going into a store and saying, listen, I know this TV, I know this, this microwave, I know this oven, this oven, I know this gadget, this whatever it is, I know it costs, let's say, $5,000, but I, I don't want to pay that. So, and of course, you're going to use the TV to, you know, stream uh, Shirim and to, you know, for educational purposes, just going to be a monitor. I don't have to get into that right now. But why would you want to buy that? It's because you want it, you want it in your house. But you don't have the, you don't, you just don't simply have the money. So you say, listen, you go to the, the guy behind the cash register and you say, I know it costs $5,000 for all these different things and the refrigerator that I need and this other thing that I need, it costs $5,000. But I'm going to pay you $2,000. I know you only make a couple hundred dollars a day. I'm going to pay you $2,000 and you just hand it to me, give it to me, we'll figure something out. So what, what, what kind of chutzpah is that? The, the guy behind the, the, the cash register, he doesn't own it. It's not his to give away. So when you serve Avodah Zarah, you're essentially serving yourself. And what are you really saying? You're saying, listen, intermediaries, I want all the goods. I want all the things that I want. I just don't want to pay the price. So I'm going to give you something. I'm going to definitely give you something. But I'm not going to give you everything that I really am supposed to be giving to get the things I want. And you just give me the things that I want. So essentially, living a life of Avodah Zarah is living a life of self-service. And here's the powerful idea. The powerful idea is that the eagle, what's the ego? What's the so let's first just break down Abu Dazara one more step. This is the powerful idea about Abu Dazara, is that any form of not living absolute truth is Abu Dazara. So everyone lives Abu Dazara. Everyone in the world is living a level of Abu Dazara because. No one's living a perfect life. And this is daunting to think about, but anytime you're doing anything with ulterior motives, anytime that you are listening to Torah just to feel good about yourself, or you're giving a shear just to feel like you're the most amazing person out there, or you're doing an act of chesed because you want to feel that you are incredible, any, any type of serving yourself as opposed to connecting yourself to Hashem, that's about desire. Now, what does that mean? I'm supposed to not be significant? I'm supposed to not be important? No, no, no. Sharpening your mindset and your why and your purpose and why you're doing this to be the full expression of your potential but in the best way possible where you, you're not giving yourself up and negating yourself and being nothing but you're not putting yourself in the way and saying it's all about me. It's like we live in a world where there's lots of very very famous public speakers and singers and, and, and Torah thinkers and educators. And it's, it's, it's mamish a struggle of Avodah Zarah. Like, I mean, I've studied Tony Robbins for a while. And Tony Robbins, he doesn't talk about God. So everyone in his world wants to be like Tony Robbins. They worship Tony Robbins. It's mamish and Avodah Zarah. Now why? 
Why doesn't he talk about God? Does he personally believe in God? Maybe. But if he talked about God, all the people who are atheists, they wouldn't buy his products. So he basically has a universe where he's the center of the universe and everyone worships him. Now, it's a similar struggle. I talked to many speakers and many great gadolim who are struggling in this world where they're building a brand and a platform and they're speaking and people are worshiping them. They're not connecting to Hashem in the way that it's a cool of Hashem. They're connecting a little maybe too much to these speakers and singers and thinkers and people. And it's 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 a struggle because what's the goal of being a machanich, of being an inspirational educator? Is to connect people to themselves, to Klai Yisrael and to Hashem. I am medium, but the goal is to be transparent for you to get past the medium, get back to the source. Now, is it easy? No. Is it necessary? Of course. And that's something which we need to strive for. You know, for. I can tell you personally, like my whole goal has always been to help people connect deeper to themselves, to Klai Yisrael, to Hashem, to living life and purpose, making an impact. And you know, there's always a question, how much do you understand that people are going to connect to you, but you have to simply be an intermediary, a medium. And the moment that's all about you, you miss the entire purpose. It's Mama Shavu Zara. Now, that's a deep thing for us to think about. Everything that we do in life, it's not about disappearing and being nothing, but it's also not about putting ourselves as the center of our universe. Hashem always needs to be the center of our universe and the source of our universe. And that's a very important thing to think about. So what was the ego? The ego was the source of this concept. So some think it was Mama Shavu Zara. That's Rashi and a couple others. But the Ramban, the Levi, say it wasn't Mamesh Abadusara. It was a sniff. It was, it was a, a branch. It was an ex, a, a smaller subcategory of Abadusara. Because what's Abadusara? It's not connecting back to the ultimate root. It's, it's, it's not serving Hashem in the ultimate way. What was this? It was doing without being commanded. Now, was it so bad that they did this? No, it wasn't so bad. Why wasn't it so bad? A couple of reasons. Number one, we know that the, the Egel was actually one you know, on the Kiseya Kava of Akash Baruch Hu. And it turned out that we ended up having a very similar thing, the Kruvim, which are the cherubs, you know, the, the Malachim, uh, that, that ended up being the correct form of the golden, you know, quote-unquote calf was really just supposed to be the golden Kruvim. And that was our form of connecting to Hashem in that very deep way. That's why the, the Hashem spoke to Moshe through the Kruvim, the Psukim say. So we just made a mistake in terms of the, the the shape and form of what's supposed to be on this golden device, so to speak. And the real problem wasn't necessarily creating this object. It was that we decided to create it. Hashem didn't ask us. Hashem afterwards asked us to create the Kruvim. But Hashem didn't ask us. Now, what's the problem with doing it without being asked? The problem... And you think, like, what do you mean? Like, it's amazing. It's spontaneous. We're trying to connect to Hashem in such a powerful way. It's so amazing. No. There's a powerful principle in Torah, Godel HaMetzuva, Mishen HaMetzuva. What's the idea? The idea is that it's greater to do something which is being commanded than without being commanded. Because when you're not commanded, it's an expression of you. You decide that it's the right thing to do. When Hashem commands it, when Hashem wills it, when Hashem wants it and decides it, when you do it, it's an expression of Hashem's will. So the very, this is right after Mount Torah, and the first thing we're doing right after Mount Torah is creating our own form of our choosing, our deciding how to connect to Hashem. That wasn't appropriate. And it's so minuscule, but it's so powerful. 
because it's very similar to Adam Harishan's original sin, without getting into all the depth right now, if you listen to that share. The, the essence of Adam's sin was doing what he thought was a better form of Avodah Hashem, even though Hashem didn't ask it. And he said, no, even though you didn't ask it, I'm still doing it. No, it's because he didn't ask it, that's why you shouldn't be doing it. Now, there is such thing as going above and beyond, but if the very foundation of your Avodah Hashem is doing your form of Avodah Hashem as opposed to what Hashem asked you, you're really not serving Hashem, you're serving yourself. You are dictating the terms. Now, is it okay to go above and beyond? Is it go above to go, you know, you know, and to go above the letter of the law and to be, you know, a chassid and to do something which is not expected of you? Of course. But if the foundation of your Avodah Hashem is on your own terms, and you decide what the best way to do it is, then you're basically showing that the entire structure, how you're building the seed of your Avodah Hashem, is on your own terms. And it's self-service, not Avodah Hashem. The powerful analogy is that they're a stage of a process. The embryonic stage, if anything happens to an embryo in utero, it has cataclysmic effects. Right? One thing happens missing one missing one chromosome. Like the whole it's crazy what one problem can have. Later on in life, you get a cut on your finger, it'll heal, it's fine. The, a fetus, an, an embryonic fetus, gets a cut, something happens to it, it can mamish, it can be horrible. It's the same thing, another of an FU. Their sin came at the very Chanukah Samishkan. That's why it was so it's so serious in terms of why they did what they did. And, and, and the mistake was at the embryonic stage. Same thing when it came to the Egel Azov. It was at the embryonic stage of Klai Yisrael. We're literally receiving the Torah and now we're creating a, a, a Klai Yisrael that serves Hashem on our own terms? No. Was it Avodah Zaramamish? Did we reject Hashem? Did we not go back to the source? No. But it was a form of Avodah Hashem that reflects the concept of Avodah Zarah because it's a form of Avodah Hashem that's self-service. We are deciding how to serve Hashem, not the other way around. And that was the problem. And essentially, the eagle is a, a, another analogous concept of what Amalek serves to do, which is to disconnect us from the ultimate truth. So Amalek came from outside, the eagle of came from inside. Amalek was someone else forcing us to disconnect from Hashem. The eagle was us creating our own form of disconnect, even though there were such good intentions. And even though our own, his mistake was maybe this, is, maybe this isn't as bad, maybe it's not as bad as it seems. There's so many ways to justify it. And by the way, why is an eagle? Think about it. why is an eagle? So... There's a very deep parallel to what an eagle is. An eagle is the, the, the animal of Yosef. Now, what's Yosef? Yosef is a shore, which is you know, not exactly an eagle. It's the same essential animal. What, what's Yosef? Yosef is the man of connection. You know, y- Yaakov is Tepharis. Yaakov connects. That's why you have the 12 shvatim. The, the connector for all 12 shvatim is Yaakov. Well, 12 shatim stem from Yaakov. Who's Yosef? Yosef is the parallel to Yaakov. That's why Yosef is both uh, one of the shatim, he's also one of the others. It's kind of the in-between. There was a filtration system from all of the the the, the three others. Avram, you had Yishmael, and Yitzchak Yishmael was filtered out. Then you had Yaakov and Esav, Esav was filtered out. The brothers thought that Yosef was the next filtered out, you know, bad apple, so to speak. And why did they think that? Because they thought Yosef's dreams and Yosef coming forward was Yosef being an egotistical 
an egotistical person who said, I'm better than you. I am the chosen one. I'm basically, that's the rotten apple. Like, Asaph had to go out, Nishmal had to go out. Clearly, you're going to be a problem. You think you're all this, you're all that. You're not even the, the oldest. Like, who do you think you are? So what was Yosef's essential struggle? The essential struggle was self-expression, ego, and being that which disconnects the oneness of clientele. What's the real deeper layer here? What's Yosef's real role? Just like Yaakov is Teferis, the connector of all the Shvatim. That's why the real essential concept of Yaakov is Teferis, is oneness. So Yosef was the parallel of Yaakov. Yosef is also Yisod. He's that which connects all the pieces together. And the idea of Yosef, that's why Yaakov learned B'chavrusa with Yosef. Yaakov literally, like, they looked the same. It's the famous Midrash that Yosef was about to sin with Eshaz Potiphar. And what ended up stopping him from sinning is that he saw... Yaakov Avinu on the Kisei Akavod, image of Yaakov Avinu on the Kisei Akavod. And the deep idea in there is that Yaakov Avinu looked exactly like Yosef. So he didn't just see his father and that kind of terrorized him and said, I can't do this sin with the Ishes Potiphar. Yeah, yeah, Yosef saw an image of his ideal self and he said, I can't do this. That's not who I am. It's not that someone else is going to see me doing something inappropriate. It's that that's just not me. I saw a higher version of myself. So Yosef is literally the parallel of Yaakov. They look the same. They serve the same midah of teferis, of oneness, of interconnection. And the real concept of Yosef is proper connection. So proper connection between man and wife, but also connecting Klai Yisrael together. So what was Yosef's role? Not to serve as the ego, which disconnects and serves and puts himself outside as higher than, but to literally connect all of Klai Yisrael together without ego. And that's what he ends up doing. First of all, all, the, all of the brothers do bow down to him. The, the dream is fulfilled. But negating their ego, they allow all of Klai Yisrael to negate their ego and come together. And the idea of Yosef, the essential concept of Yosef, is to connect all the pieces of Klai Yisrael together and then to connect Klai Yisrael to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is essentially what he ends up doing by bringing everyone into Mitzrayim. Everyone that gets their ego, they all connect as a klal, as a tzibor, and that is the birth and the process of Klai Yisrael then going to receive the Torah once they leave Mitzrayim. Now, what's the concept then? So Yaakov, Yosef's animal is a shore, and that the egel is that form of connection. So Klai Yisrael were trying to use the egel to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So their intentions were good. They were trying to tap into that, that the concept of a connection, of connecting as a seaboard, as a cloud, and connecting to Hashem. But what ended up happening? What ended up happening is that they did it on their own terms, and that was the mistake. And that's why the Greeks, you know, Yosef is, Yosef's Chag is Hanukkah. The story of Yosef always falls on Hanukkah. Because Yosef is about proper connection, proper connection between physical and spiritual, between internal and external, between all the different members of Klai Yisrael. And the Greeks, they said to Klai Yisrael, Yosef is the story of Hanukkah, on Hanukkah the Greeks said to Klai Yisrael, this is a famous Maimir Chazal, that you have no chilek in Hashem, and the reason you have no chilek in Hashem in his Torah, is their proof, they said, well, look at the eagle, look at the eagle. What were they doing? They were saying, like, oh, you think you're, you're so connected to Hashem? Like, the very essence of, of Yosef and proper connection, like, you, you misuse that. You have no chilek. And they pointed to the eagle. Like, that is the battle of Hanukkah. It's the battle of Yosef, the battle of Yosef against the Greeks. The Greeks saying how, you know, you, you don't know how to connect. You have no connection to the transcendent. You have no connection to Hashem. And we say, no, we absolutely do. We absolutely do. And 
yes, we made a mistake. We misused that connection. We misused Yosef, so to speak. And the Egel is obviously a major problem. But there's a Tikkun. And the Tikkun is proper connection. The Tikkun is understanding how to live a life of real connection. And the whole idea of Zechira, of remembering, is going back and connecting ourselves back to our true selves, back to our true source of Klai back to our ultimate source of the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And that's why it's so important to remember the mistake we made by the Hegel, to remember what Amalek tries to disconnect us from, because it gets us back to the first two Zechiris of Yitzitz Mitzrayim Ema and Torah, which is connecting us back to our ultimate root, that Hashem exists, and there's a much deeper nature to the existence. Hashem is not just a being, but He's a source of being. He's, he's not just something that exists, but He's a source of existence, and we can connect to that by connecting deeper to ourselves, to each other, and to Torah, and to Mitzvahs, and to really everything that's significant and important in life. And that gets us to the fifth Zechira. The fifth Zechira is Lashon Hara. Miriam's punishment for Lashon Hara. So let's, let's just simplify. What is the problem of Lashon Hara? The problem of Lashon Hara is essentially taking everything that we've just developed, which is that there's an ultimate source, and the ultimate source, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is expressed into this world. And the world is an expression of Hashem's will, but our job is to connect back to the Ratzon Hashem through learning Torah and live it through living Torah by doing, you know, performing mitzvos and, and living a life of Torah mitzvos and expressing that truth into the world. You are my witnesses. How do we testify to Hashem's existence? We live Hashem's existence in this world. Now, what's Lashon Hara? Lashon Hara is a very simple, powerful, powerful idea. If you really think about what's the problem of Lashon Hara, Lashon Hara is saying something negative about someone and essentially telling the truth. That's the real, the real fascinating part of Lashon Hara is that it's not lying. Lying is a midvar shakatirch, that's something else. A lot of people say like, well, why is this so bad? It's true. No, the purpose of truth is to connect. The purpose of Debra, what's, what's speech? Essentially, we all live inside our own inner worlds. We have all these inner realities inside of our heads that are inexpressible. Someone will ask you, what is it like to be you? What do you really want to do with your life? What's your purpose in life? What do you feel is your biggest struggle in life? Who are you really inside? What is it like to really be you? There are no words that you can say that can really express that. It's almost inexpressible. What are words? The concept of speech. Why, why did the Karsh create the world of speech? Because your thoughts, the realm of ideas and consciousness, they're inexpressible. They're infinite. They're intangible. The realm of the tangible is the realm of a limited expression of that which is inexpressible. So Moshe couldn't speak. Why? So the Maral explains, because Moshe was beyond speech. What's that idea? What does that mean? When you speak, you take that which is infinite and you give it a finite expression. That's why the word for word in Hebrew is davar, mila, and teva. Because when you speak, you take that which is in your head, which if someone asks you like you know these very deep, deep, real questions, you can't really share, but you try. So what you do is you take that which is abstract, that which has no boundaries, that which is infinite, and you give it a teva, a box. Now, what is that box? That box is filled with you, you, a mila, a word. What happens when you... A mila also means to cut. Because you cut the infinite into something finite. You put it into a teva, into a box, and it becomes a davar. A davar is a word. It's also a thing, something limited. 
So when you share, when I share Torah, when I share ideas, when I have a conversation with someone, I'm taking that which is so beyond words, and I try to put it into words. Now the words are not the thing. The biggest mistake you can ever make is to think the words are the actual thing. No, the words represent the thing. What you do when you listen to someone is you say, those are the words, what do they really mean? So you basically re-break down those words like when you eat something, what do you do? You break it down. You digest. What do you do when you listen to someone? You need to digest. You need to eat it. What happens when you digest and eat it? You break it down into its fundamental components and you get back to the original nutrients. Same thing when it comes to listening to someone who has depth behind them. You listen to them. You digest. You break it down. You get back to what's beyond the words, behind the words, the original essence. And that's what it means when you, when you become a Talmud of someone. You listen to not what they say, but what they meant by what they said. You get back to that which is beyond words. And learning deep ideas is learning that which is beyond words through words. Because you don't transcend the medium you use the medium. That's really what zakhir is. You go back through the medium, back to the source. That's what everything we've been talking about is the simple concept of the infinite source, the limited expression, and the expression itself. You go from the expression through the intermediary, through the medium, back to the original source. When you speak, you go from thought and ideas through the action, the intermediary, the medium of speaking. You get the actual words, the expression, and you need to use those words to get back to the original source. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu create the world through speech? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world through the concept of speech. The physical world is an expression of spiritual. The finite is an expression of the infinite. The world of, of physicality and corporeality, the corporeal world, is an expression of the transcendent, ethereal, infinite, spiritual nature of existence. Now, Hashem is the ultimate, ultimate root beyond anything and everything. You know, in Sof, that's beyond anything and everything. But in terms of the world we inhabit, it's an expression. And everything in this world is a conversation, communication. It's meaningful because everything in this world has deeper layers. And the things that happen in this world of time and space are a conversation from Hashem to us. Hashem didn't just speak at one time in history. That was a more open revelation. All of human history is a conversation. All of human history is a story, the ultimate story, and it's a conversation. It's communication. It's mean. A story is a meaningful expression of events. The world is a meaningful expression. Now, the physical world itself, every single thing, every concept, every, every aspect of creation is meaningful and filled with meaning. And history itself is also a conversation. But the idea of speech, the concept of speech, is the expression from the infinite to the finite, where the finite, the expression, reveals that which is beyond expression. So you use the words to get back to that which is beyond words. So when you're talking to someone and you're having a really meaningful, deep conversation, you know that you're just using words. But what you're trying to get to is beyond the words. So you really are connecting to the person themselves. And very often, miscommunication is where you get stuck in the words or you project yourself onto what you would mean if you had used that word. So if someone says, I'm doing okay, but you can tell they're not doing okay, they're not doing okay. They said they're doing okay, they don't mean that. And even if they try to make it seem like they mean that, if you really get to know them, you know what they say and what they mean. And that's real communication, is getting to understand not what people do and say, well, who people are and what they actually are inside. And it takes a lifetime. 
It takes a lot. Those are relationships are the most incredibly rewarding part of life. They're the most difficult, without a question. And when it comes to self-development, working on yourself, the only person you need to work on is yourself. When it comes to a relationship, you can't control the other person. So even if you want to work on the relationship, even if you want to communicate, if they're not interested or they're not good at it or they're going through something difficult, it's, it's not simple when it comes to genuine connection. Now, what's Lashon Hara? And by the way, why did Moshe Rabbeinu struggle with speaking? So the Maharal explains, you know, Rabbi Tom says that he struggled because he forgot the language, and the Ran says that he struggled because he, he, if he had spoken eloquently, people would have believed in Torah because of the, 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 people would have claimed that people only accepted the Torah because Moshe was an inspirational speaker, he was, he brainwashed them, he was a guru, he was one of these, you know, self-help guys who said that, oh, I'm going to transform your life with the Torah. But because he had a speech impediment, it's very clear that Klai Yishul accepted the Torah only because it was true, and that's the ultimate proof of the truth of Torah. But the, this is the famous Ran in the Drasha Saran. But the Maharal explains that Moshe was beyond speech. He lived in the realm of, a realm of truth where he couldn't speak. He couldn't share words, ideas. He couldn't share things in a limited, finite mechanism. And only once Hashem created this paradox of the Torah itself being expressed in finite words, where the Torah is so beyond words and somehow the infinite nature of truth is expressed in finite words, Moshe, Vayidabra Moshe, Moshe was then able to speak. That's why Sefer Devarim is Moshe speaking. Moshe got the ability to speak after Hashem revealed the ability to speak and express the infinite within the finite, within the realm of finite speech. So what's the concept of speech when it comes to human beings? The concept is expressing yourself genuinely into the world, but also expressing yourself in a way that you connect to other people. So naturally, we, we find ourselves isolated inside our own inner worlds. Everyone feels lonely. We feel misunderstood. We feel like no one understands us. No one gets us. No one knows who we are, why we are, what we really think, what we're really feeling, what we're struggling with. No one sees your thoughts, your mind. The antidote to loneliness is connection. And the antidote to real loneliness is connecting to your higher self. So it's when you become your best self, when you connect to higher levels of consciousness and meaning and actualizing your potential, delving into who you are, why you are, understanding your strengths and your weaknesses and really getting more in touch with who you are, which is what Torah does. Torah opens up yourself to yourself, which is amazing. Most people think Torah makes you give up who you are. To give myself to Hashem. No, Torah gives you who you are so you can live a life of Avodah Hashem, a life of truth. It's the exact opposite. Now, what's the idea here? What the, the idea is that real speech is real connection. So you use speech to connect yourself to yourself, as in you, and by the way, a lot of people learn by talking things out inside their own head or writing things down or seeing themselves outside of themselves. One of the most important things of working on your own level of Understanding Torah and understanding yourself is getting it outside yourself, talking it out, writing it down, journaling, seeing, writing down everything outside of yourself, and then organizing, interconnecting it, developing it. A lot of people, they have so much clutter inside their heads because they, it's all in their head. and they, they, they know nothing because they haven't seen themselves outside of themselves, seen the contradictions, built the interconnections developed what they think they already know, see that which they thought they knew, which they realize they don't know, and also get access to everything that they do know, but they've forgotten because they've stored it all in their head, and their hard drive is just not built to store everything in that type of capacity. So the first thing in terms of what speech does, the concept of speech is connecting to yourself, connecting to Hashem, connecting to truth. 
The next layer is connecting to other people. So speech allows you to build relationships, allows you to connect, allows you to use everything that's inside of you to express that and then to create a space within yourself for someone else so they can share their, themselves with you and you create connection. That's the whole idea of speech is connections, connecting the infinite to the finite so you share the realm of infinite thought into the realm of finite, but it's also connecting within your inner world to someone else's world. So you share yourself with them, they share themselves with you and you create that type of connection powerful what's the misuse of speech all misuses of speech are corrupting that concept so when you lie you don't share what's actually inside of you you share something that people think they're getting the truth they think they're getting what you actually thought or what you actually believe or what you actually think is in their best interest but they're not because you're lying to them. You're sharing a false expression that the expression is not a reflection of the source. They think they're getting you, they're getting something else. And that goes on every level. You give someone bad financial advice. Someone asks you how you're doing, and you say, I'm doing great. Like every form of where the expression is not what's inside, you are lying. Now, can you ever lie? Is it appropriate to lie? Of course, there's a whole studio where it's appropriate to lie in terms of you know, protecting people to save people's lives, in terms of another, many different case scenarios. For Shalom Bias, the Gemara talks about many different cases where you can lie. But not really lying. Like a, 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 th There's ways to lie also. You stretch the truth. But when you lie for gain, for personal gain, to corrupt, to hurt people, all these different forms of lying, you are destroying the very concept of what speech is. Speech is a revelation of truth. And when you lie, you corrupt deeper itself. That's why speech, lying is not called Lashon Hara. Lying is called Sheker. Why isn't it called Lashon Hara? Why isn't it called evil speech? Because Sheker is not speech. Lashon is expressing the truth through Dibur. That's why Lashon Hara, we're going to explain why is it called Lashon Hara. You'd think lying would be Lashon Hara. No, lying is not even speech. You think it's speech. That's the whole point. That's, the, that's the, 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 the evil of lying is that people think you're actually sharing truth. But it's not. So it's not speech. It's, it's, a, it's complete falsehood. There's no truth there. There's no speech. Speech is an expression of truth. What's Lashon Hara? Lashon Hara is the truth. But Lashon Hara is using the truth in an evil way. Why? Because what's the whole purpose of Lashon? What's the whole purpose of speech, of Dibur? It's to connect people together, to connect people to themselves, to Klaishol, to truth, to ideas, to Hashem. What happens when you use speech to disconnect people from each other? You say behind people that, oh, that guy's nothing. That guy, he's, you know, this. I, she did this. Oh, well, you never believe what I heard. Oh, you never believe this story. It's true, but it creates disconnection. So what's the punishment for Lashon Hara? You get, we're not going to talk about Saras and Nanga, it's a whole deep topic. But the, the basic punishment in the times of the Torah is that you get kicked out of the camp of Kalei Why? Because Lashon Hara creates this, you use the very mechanism of connection to disconnect people from each other. So what's the punishment? You get disconnected from Kalei You go outside the camp. Why? Because hopefully now you'll understand what you did. You created disconnect. And now you're going to be disconnected, so you can do, you can be metakin, you can do teshuva, you can say, okay, listen, like, I, I, I get it, like, I see what I did. It means I connected me, I created disconnection, I, I disconnected people from Klaistral, now I'm going to be disconnected from the camp of Klaistral, so I can do teshuva and come back and, and, and hopefully use my Debor properly. And by the way, there's three forms of this misuse of connection, this misuse 
of dibur, this misuse, uh, misuse of bris. Right? We have three different types of bris. There's the bris halashan, the bris of the mouth, which is essentially speaking Torah, thinking Torah, living Torah, expressing dibur in a proper way, where you are essentially in alignment with your higher self and you use speech properly. That, that's really the, the bris halashan. Then there's the bris amila. There's the bris of a man's aver, reproductive organ. So what's that bris? That bris is essentially the commitment to being faithful in marriage. So what's the, the betraying of that bris? That's gilirayas. That's being unfaithful in marriage. And then there's the ultimate bris between us and Hashem. And, and that's the, our, our commitment to being in heaven Hashem. What's betraying that bris? That's the Zara, back to what we we're just talking about, where you are unfaithful to Hashem. You don't commit to the relationship in the right way. You don't connect to Hashem the right way. You serve yourself. And by the way, all of these are serving yourself. Right? Zara is you're serving yourself, not Hashem. Gilearias is you're serving yourself. You're not committed to the relationship between you and your spouse. And Lashanara, why, why do people, think about it, why do people misuse speech? They miss your speech because why would you lie? You lie because you believe that you're more important than the truth. You believe that you're, what you have to gain is more important than being a truthful person. Why would you speak Lashon Hara? Why would you betray your friends or betray someone and speak behind their back? Because you think that, I mean, think about it. Well, why do people knock people down? Because we believe, first of all, that if we're entertaining and we say funny stories and we're like, you know, so incredibly engaging, people will love us. So we say like, oh, it'd be really interesting if I shared these really juicy stories. But think about it. If you're the person who shares those juicy stories, the people who you're sharing with are never going to like you because they know that the moment they're not in the room, you're going to probably speak about them behind their back because you're that type of person. So in trying to build connection and rapport and getting a great reputation for being the life of the party and being really likable, no one's going to like you. And also, the reason, like, think of it like this. It's like, why would you want to tear someone else down to build yourself up? So essentially, it's just being unfaithful to your friendships, it's being unfaithful to yourself. You really believe that the best expression of building yourself up is to be the type of person to tear someone else to someone else down. It's really like it's the bris between you and yourself. Like the best way, if you if you express, first of all, having the courage to share who you really are, your real thoughts, what you are really passionate about, what you really care about, and you'll you'll start to see that you start to really respect yourself because you're using speech in the way that it's supposed to be used as an expression of your reflection, of your understanding of and your connection to Hashem and truth. That's what speech is. It's an expression and revelation of everything that you are and everything that you are is how much you've connected to who you're truly capable of becoming, which is a unique expression of truth. You built B'Salam al you are a unique form of greatness in this world, unique form of godliness in this world. And what's the sixth zakhira? So, so far we have the zakhira of connecting back to the source of existence, 
the, the unique form and our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not just he sees and Torah. Amalek tries to disconnect us, creating doubt and paralysis and disconnecting us from reality. The eagle is our own form of Avodah of disconnecting from the ultimate source of truth. Lashon Hara is in the more finite expression of speech, not revealing the truth in the way that it's supposed to be revealed, not connecting to the, the not connecting in the proper form of connecting. It's creating disconnect with that which is supposed to create connection. Speech is supposed to connect people together, and I'm using it to disconnect people from each other. So we are basically connecting to Hashem. The, the, the experience of what that connection is capable of becoming in terms of Ma'an Torah, the disconnect of Amalek disconnecting, then we have our own disconnect from the Egel Azov, then we have disconnecting within Klai Yisrael, disconnecting us from each other in the form of Lashon Hara, and then we get to Shabbos, and the sixth Zechir is Shabbos, which is the ultimate form of connection. So you see full circle how all six Zechiris are about connection, really all of life, all of Torah, all of mitzvahs, all of living a Torah life is about connection, proper connection, and avoiding improper connection. And the goal is not to avoid improper connection, the goal is to create proper connection. The means to creating proper connection is avoiding inappropriate connection, which is why the emphasis of life is not yira and being passive and reserved and not doing bad things. The goal of life is accomplishment, growth, meaning, connection, purpose. Now, you need both. But the emphasis is not on losase. The emphasis is on ase. You don't get married so that you're not unfaithful. You get married to build the relationship. Our life is not to not serve Vodah our, our goal is to be an Eved Hashem. The goal is to build that connection. And what's the climax? What's the essence? What's the, how do we really feel that connection in this world? The, the real essence of that is Shabbos. Shabbos is the ultimate form of connection. Now, on a very simple level, it's where we do all the things that relate to the concept of connection. Maharal talks about this all the time, how the nature of eating, on Shabbos there's a lot of eating, a lot of, a lot of good food on Shabbos. So you, know, you save your best food for Shabbos. Why? What happens when you eat? When, let's start with what happens when you don't eat. When you don't eat, you get faint, you get tired, you get exhausted. What happens when you do eat? What happens when you eat is you sustain the connection between your body and soul. What happens if you don't eat for a day? You get faint. What happens if you don't eat for a little longer? You might pass out. You might pass out, lose consciousness. What happens if you don't eat for long enough? Your soul, you, will leave your body. Your, your very essence will leave your physical vessel. So eating connects you to your physical goof, to your physical body. Eating is about connecting the physical to the spiritual, connecting you to your body. On Yom Kippur, we want to be angelic, so we don't eat, so we're more like Malachim. On Yom Kippur, we say, out loud, like Malachim, we're all white, we're more angelic, we're not physical. When it comes to other days of mourning, we loosen the connection between body and soul, not because we're trying to be angelic, but more because we're trying to experience mourning and pain and discomfort. It's, it's very, where is the discomfort, by the way, in the disconnect between body and soul? It's because we identify as a body. The more you identify as a soul, the more painless it is when you're not engaging in the physical. It's very interesting. It's why 
we talk about how Avram Avinu, a lot of the, the Avos and Sadiqim, they have the kiss of death and the shikah shamavas. What's the kiss of death? It's painless. It's the painless death. What's the pain of death? It's the soul. It's you, your consciousness, yourself, your identity, leaving your body when you think you are a body. If you're leaving your body and you think you are a body, you're leaving existence. But if you are not a body, you're in a body. Your body is a part of you, but it's not the actual you. There's a hierarchy. You, yourself, are an inner self. When you see I, you're not pointing to your heart, to your brain. You're pointing to your inner self. You are a consciousness, a mind, a self, a soul, an inner being. So... It's painless when you die because you're not dying. That's the, the ultimate death in Machshavah is that there's no such thing as death. There's stages of existence. When you think you're a body, you die when you leave your body. If you're not a body, there's no death. There's just living in the next stage of life. Now, will there be another stage where we come back to your body? Of course, but the concept is that you're not a body. So what is... Why do you want to be in a body? Because you cannot do mitzvahs without being in a body. All of mitzvahs, except for a couple, are physical actions. So you are a soul having a physical experience so you can express infinity and the Ratzon Hashem into this physical world. Which means what? Which means that the body and soul have a very powerful relationship of Eker and Tafel. You are a soul, but you use your body. Your body is an aspect of you. It's, it's, it's literally an important part of you, but you're much more than a body. What happens when you eat? You connect to your body. How do you do mitzvah? So you don't think about putting on tefillin. You don't think about you know, making brachos. You don't think about shaking a lulav. You do it. The spiritual mindful mitzvahs are believing in Hashem, not serving of others, not being jealous. And even jealousy, the Rambam thinks you have to quantify with actually taking the object to you know, violate Laz Ahmed. But the idea is that this connection between physical and spiritual is a very deep concept. And in Shabbos, we eat a lot of food and the good food, and we connect to our bodies. We're so spiritual, but we're spiritually aligned in the physical. And Rashi explains that we get in the Neshama Yaseira on Shabbos. It's not that we get another Neshama, it's that we get more Neshama. So because we're more in touch with our spiritual self, we're able to engage more in the physical. Because the more spiritual you are, the more you can engage in the physical in an appropriate way without being consumed by the physical. So it's a very powerful idea that on, on Shabbos we're, we're connecting body and soul. It's also a time of Tashra Shamita. What's Tashra Shamita? It's the ultimate form of connection between husband and wife. The Ramban explains that the connection between us and Akkadosh Baruch Hu are connected, the, the connection between husband and wife. It's that marriage. That Man Torah, Harsina was lifted on top of us like a marriage canopy. It was literally like a, we were Mamish Chasna Kala. And, um, you know, the, the, the whole essence of living a Torah life is a love story between us and the Gosh Baruch Hu, and not fluffy and meaningless and like, you know, a love story. No, deep Ava is oneness. Ava, the deepest kinds of Ava is oneness. It's interconnection. It's building that harmony, that difference, that oneness, that love. And, and year sustains that oneness and the Ava. It doesn't impede on it. It doesn't prevent it. And the, the eating is connecting body and soul. The Tavshashamita is connecting male and female, connecting physical and spiritual, connecting in a very deeply intimate way, in the appropriate way, in the proper way. I mean, the Rabban explains that. You know, back in the days where we had Naviim to have a Navi, to create a Navi, you had to have pure intentions and really have Tavshashamita in the most ideal way, where it's a spiritual experience in the physical world. It's the most deeply intimate connection between man and wife. And that's a malik. A malik, remember, carry that. There, you know, we're just animals. There's no deep intimacy and meaning and purpose and deeper connection in marriage and tashras amita. It's just pure physical pleasure. It's pure evolutionary biology. And you're just procreating and, and, and two animals creating more animals. 
but we're, we understand the essence of Torah life is uplifting and, and understanding the transcendence within everything imminent and physical and limited. That everything finite has an infinite source. Everything that's physically expressed has a deeper nature, meaning, purpose, and experience behind it. And you can tap into that. And obviously Shabbos is a time of tefillah and learning Torah, which is connecting to Hashem. So time of eating, connecting you yourself to your body. Tasha Shamita, husband connecting to his wife. Wife connecting to her husband. Time of tefillah and learning Torah, connecting to Hashem. And obviously it's a time of tzibur and klal, everyone goes to shul together. It's a time of connecting to the, to the greater community. Now Shabbos is beyond just connection in that sense. Shabbos is the ultimate time of connection. Because on the one hand, Shabbos is connecting, it's the ultimate zechira. We're connecting back to the zman of creation. All of Shabbos, Aichulu, the finishing of creating the world, we're going back to the story of creation. So Shabbos is about going all the way back to the point of creating of time itself, the, the creation of our story, the original, the, the, the origin of our, of our existence, the very beginning of time and space. We're basically reflecting upon and testifying, we're being made, we're, we're testifying again that Hashem created the world. And we're connecting to Hashem as our creator, as our melech, as our bore, as our av, but as our creator, the creator of the world. So we're going all the way back to the past. And we're also going all the way to the future. Shabbos is main olam haba. Gemara Baruch something Zion says Shabbos is main olam haba. Olam haba is where you experience everything you create and you build. That's why Shabbos, we stop malacha, we stop creative activity. We're going to end point. We're going to destination. So we're going all the way back to the beginning. We're also going all the way to the end. We're going to a place of ultimate oneness, a connection with Hashem at the end of time and space, where, where, where the oneness of everything and the ultimate destination of everything will be revealed, where we'll be at end point. So Shabbos is about starting point and end point. It's about the beginning of time and the end of time. It's about the beginning of your life and the end of your life. It's about source and expression. It's the very, very beginning. It's the very, very end. Shabbos... You know, that's why Shabbos is a very, it's a deep time where you want to come in touch with yourself. Shabbos is not just stopping work. We stop creative activity. You experience who you are. The pain of Olamba is realizing everything you could have been. But the joy is you get to experience everything you became, everything you built. And that, you know, why I framed it from, why I, why I first talked about pain and then talked about pleasure, it's relative. Because you can first talk about pleasure and then talk about pain. It's happening at the same time. You're experiencing the truth of your life. Experiencing the joy of all that you built, the ideas, the Torah you learned, the mitzvahs you expressed, the relationships you built, the character you developed, the ideas and the ideology you developed to really live this life how you chose to live it. And the joy is realizing you built yourself, you earned it. Hashem gave you the free will of to choose your life, but the pain is to get to see everything you could have been too. You get to see everything you could have been. And there's no way to... To, to diminish that pain of the truth, of what the truth was, meaning what your truth was, what you could have become, what your potential actually was. The joy is every single ounce of actualized potential. The pain is every single ounce of unactualized potential. And that converges into a present moment, which is, by the way, like a lot of, like Shabbos says, creation, it's Olam Haba, like Friday night is creation. Mincha is Olam Haba. Shabbos day is essentially Ma'an Torah. 
which is basically we have creation, Hashem created the world, then Hashem revealed Himself in the ultimate way, Ma'an Torah, to the world, and then Ma'an Torah itself was an experience of Olam Haba, it was Me'in Olam Haba, and we've talked many times about how time and space stop, that's why Ra'am Asakos, we heard sounds, what do you mean, you, you don't, Sorry, Rabbi Sakos, we saw sounds. You don't see sounds. We saw sounds because Ri'ia is something static. You see something as this. Hearing is process. But Olam Haba is beyond time and space. So that, that, that experience of seeing sounds is seeing static, that which is process. It's the experience of the transcendent beyond time and space, within time and space. It's that which is usually requires process, sound, to be experienced through the mechanism of sight, static. So obviously, if you didn't get that, uh, I've given Shirman before, it's a very deep concept. But the idea is that Olam Haba can be experienced in this world. Ma'an Torah was an Olam Haba experience in this world. We experience Hashem in this world. Shabbos is me ain Olam Haba. The Gemara Baruch HaStafim Zion says we get an experience of endpoint, of beyond time and space, of transcendence in this physical world. And then you bring Shabbos into the week. You live a Torah life during the week. So essentially, Shabbos is the convergence of past, present, and future into a very powerful present. And in the deepest nature, like what, what's Yudke Vavke? Yudke Vavke is Hayahova uh, right? Was, is, and will be. But the deeper concept of Hayahova is not was, is, and will be as in like the past, present, and future, but it's the Hashem is before time, during time, and after time. Right? He was here before Hashem created, before he created the world. He's here while he creates the world. And I say creates because it's consistent and constant. Not that Hashem created the world and left. It's kind of like a flow where if you cut off, it's like a light bulb, right? You cut off the flow of electricity, the light bulb is not lit up, right? So if Hashem doesn't consistently create the world, the world doesn't exist. It's like if you think of something in your head, think of a person, right? Give him a name, give him a background. If you stop thinking about him, he doesn't exist anymore. So the reason why the world exists, because, you know, a mechadish, a kodesh baruch is mechadish, the world, every single day. It's not that HaKadosh Baruch created the world once and now he no longer creates it, right? HaKadosh Baruch creates the world every single day, all day, every day. And that, that's why, by the way, the, there's an old uh, minhag, uh, and to, to learn, to have a cycle of learn Torah every single day, because Torah is what keeps that creation going, as the Nefshechayim famously explained. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not just here creating the world now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is before creation, and Yihiyah, he will be after time, I mean, after the, the story, which, you know, is a complicated thing to wrap your head around in terms of after time. But the idea is that Hashem is beyond time, within time, and, and that powerful concept is what Shabbos is about as well. It's not just going back to creation, going towards the ultimate destination of Om Haba, and then coming back into a powerful present. It's the ability to be above time and within time. And this is such an amazing, we'll end with this, because there's obviously a lot, of, a lot of deep ideas to digest here. But the idea is that when you learn how to live a life of past, present, and future, a lot of people, they live in their past. They live in regret, remorse, thinking about what they could do, what they could have said, the relationships they could have had, the money they could have made, the Torah they could have learned, the sugis they could have mastered, this, that, all these things they could have done. And a lot of people live in the future. They have all these dreams and hopes and goals, and I'm going to do all these amazing things, and they don't end up doing anything. Right? If you live in the past, you don't end up doing anything because you live in regret. You live in the, what could have been. 
You live in the what ifs. If you live in the future, you don't do anything because you live with all these visions and ideas and dreams and aspirations, but you don't have a work ethic. You don't have the good habits. You're not doing anything. If you live in the present, it's amazing. A lot of people say, like, oh, I want to be more present. But a lot of people live in the present. They have a great work ethic. And they don't get anything done because they just do things, but they're not accomplishing. It's like, if you want to accomplish something significant, all of your hours of a day need to create something beyond just getting things done. But there has to be a bigger framework and structure so that you're creating something exponential. And your days are building into weeks and building into months, building into years, and you're creating a structure for your life because it's going somewhere. And the only way you can do that well is if you converge past, present, and future, which means that you're always learning from your mistakes. You're, you're, you think about your past. So you can learn, oh, this didn't work out because I did this wrong and I wasn't doing that. I can improve my this and I can learn better like this and I can have better relationships like this. I made this mistake. Okay, I'm acknowledging and living in the past so I can learn how to live a great present. But what's my present? My present is about having incredible goals, a vision for my life, heading towards an incredible future, creating sof ma'asev ma'achshav etchilif. I want to create anything great. It has to originate within thought. I'm going to come up with incredible goals and then I'm going to live an incredibly powerful present where my present is translated and heading towards an incredible future while I live in the present. I don't give up my life to head towards a great future. I don't get stuck in the past. I don't live fully in the present without going anywhere meaningful. But I'm able to converge all of them. And yet even as I'm living this powerful past, present, and future life, I'm also able to be above time as I'm within time. As in, I don't feel suffocated in a physical existence. I'm able to get outside myself and view myself outside of myself above time and space, which is really what self-awareness is. Self-awareness is going into a room by yourself and seeing yourself for who you are, why you are, what you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it. Being able to say, this doesn't make sense. This does make sense. You can get better at this. You, this is something really to be proud of. Enjoy how much you've accomplished, but you can take it the next step further. And you can be within yourself and above yourself, within time and above time. And you want to be within time most of the time, but you want to be able to get above time. And Shamus is where you are within time, recognizing past, present, and future, recognizing Hashem as being the source of past, present, and future, and the meaning of past, present, and future, but also being able to be above time itself, before time and after time, being able to be above time. And that's an amazing way to emulate Hashem in the highest form of connection. And this is really the essence of the Sheish Sechirs. This is the essence of the Six Remembrances. It's remembering what life is about, why we're here, who we are, why we are. Kadosh Baruch Hu told us. Kadosh Baruch Hu revealed himself to us. But it wasn't just Yitzhak Mitzrayim taking us to Mitzrayim. It was Ma'an Torah. What the purpose of this is. Who Hashem really is. Who we really are. What we're really capable of. What our purpose in this world is. And Amali comes to cut us off from that. It comes Malika and, and Suffolk to, to break us off from Ma'an Torah. To break the world off from Ma'an Torah. To break the world off from truth. And that concept still exists. Exists not only as an external concept, but we have our own doubts within ourselves. We hold ourselves back very often from what we're really capable of, and we need to stand up inside ourselves and say, no, I'm not going to let doubt hold me back. I'm just going to push forward. I don't always have to have the right answer before I try. Like, perfectionism is a form of, of a malik. It's like, I, until I can get it perfect, I'm not going to do it at all. No, that's not how growth works. Growth works with incremental stages and steps. You need to build momentum. You need to start getting small things right, even if you make mistakes along the way. That's fine. 
life is not random. There, there's spiritual greatness within every physical component of life, and you need to make sure that you don't cool off your flame. You need to stay motivated, driven, passionate, and excited about learning about growth, about meaning, about purpose and contribution and building great relationships and having your impact in this world and succeeding in all dimensions of life. And then we have remembering the Chedegel, that, yeah, we, we made a mistake and so much of life is being self-aware as to am I really doing this for the right reasons or is this about me? Am I serving myself or am I serving Hashem? And the things that I'm doing, am I trying to be egotistical and put myself at the center or am I trying to be a transparent incredibly present, I don't lose myself, I gain a lot of confidence and self-worth by actualizing my potential, but it comes from Hashem. And it's about, it's not about me. Life is not about me. I'm part, I'm, I'm, I'm an important character, but I'm an important character of a story, and that story is about something much bigger than myself. And once you can play your role as an important character, where you're part of a much bigger story, you negate your ego and you find your true self. And your true self is so much bigger and better than your egotistical self. Because your egotistical self is you're the center of the story. Now you're part of a much bigger story and you're an important part of that bigger story and you become infinitely bigger. That's the idea of Gotol HaMetsuvah Mishinu Metsuvah. If you're not commanded, you did something great, but it's just you. But when you're commanded, when it comes from Hashem, you become a revelation of something infinitely greater than yourself and that makes you infinitely greater than you could have been by yourself. Which is brilliant. And in terms of the uh, Miriam's mistake with speaking Lashem, without getting into, because obviously we're talking to someone that's a dekas on Miriam's level, we're not going to talk about the whole shir and what, what her mistake was, but the concept of Lashem Hara is not, it's the improper use of speech. Speech is about connecting to the truth, connecting to the source, connecting to the abstract, the infinite, the source of reality, the source of ideas, the source of ourselves, our higher selves, and expressing that through the limited medium of speech to create connection, to connect to other people, to connect other people to Hashem, to connect us to other people. And when you misuse speech to not reflect the truth, like lying, or to misrepresent what speech is supposed to do, it's supposed to be truth that connects together and you use the truth to disconnect people from each other. That's the ultimate misuse of speech, which is why it's Lashon Hara, it's evil speech. Remember, Shakur isn't even speech. Lashon Hara is speech, but it's the wrong type of speech. And then Shabbos is the ultimate type of connection, where we connect to ourselves, we connect our bodies to our souls, we connect, you know, spouses connect to each other, we connect to Gosh Baruch, we connect to other members of Klai Yisrael. It's a time of, of Klali and Sibur-oriented life, and it's a time of Tefillah and learning, but it's also really a time of being, a time of tapping into who we are, Shabbos is a cessation of malacha. Malacha is creative activity, the activity that Kosh used to create the world, that we use to create the Mishkan. It's we stop the creative activity, we experience who we are. And we tap into the source of existence of creating the world. We tap into the Ma'an Torah. We tap into the ultimate destination of where the world's going in terms of the Mashiach and Olam Haba and Tchiyas We also tap into that which is beyond time. And it's a time of presence, of real experience, of experiencing all that's real. And it's the climax of the Sheshachiros, of really tapping into true connection. And at the end of the day, we hopefully tap into these Sheshachiros every single day. The real idea of life, of all of Torah, all of Torah is about connection. 
All of Torah is about connecting, connecting different pieces together, connecting us to our higher selves, connecting us to Hashem, connecting us to Klai Yisrael, connecting, like, being a, a, a revelation that time may die, we're supposed to reveal that in the world and serve as role models to what life is supposed to be like and reveal a higher form of existence, of consciousness, of being, of, of purpose-oriented life. And if you know how to learn, if you know how to learn Torah, all of Torah learning is connecting pieces together. If you're a Lamdan, if you know how to learn Gemara, all of Gemara learning is breaking down a sugya and connecting this to every other time in Shas that this concept comes up. If you want to know how to learn the Rambam, you learn this Rambam, it has to connect to all other Rambams. What's the Rambam Lashitasa? What does the Rambam really hold? If you know how to learn, all of them is about connecting pieces together and getting the underlying source to all those pieces to the underlying concept and principles in place. And then connecting those principles to each other and say, what's the principle behind that principle? It's like a tree. A tree has a trunk, you have branches, smaller branches, smaller branches, leaves, that's glycerol. You start with the Avos, then you get to the 12 Shvatim, then you get to Klai Yisrael, leaving Mitzrayim, and we just branch out and branch out and branch out. It's the expression of Klai Yisrael. That's Torah Shabbat Peh. Torah Shabbat was given to us. It's static. doesn't change. Torah Shabbat Peh is expanding. We have the Mishnah. We have the Gemara. We have the Rishonim. We have the Achronim. We have Poskim. It's the expression and evolution and the process of thinking and learning and becoming Torah, coming up with Chidushim, interconnecting the pieces together. It's the complexity that stems from simplicity. Every tree starts with a seed. Every zygote, you know, it's like you have a human being starts with a zygote. But that simplicity expresses itself. And all of life is connecting that expression together, all those pieces together that seem to be disparate and fragmented and tunis, and everything seems to just become complicated, doesn't make sense, and you connect it into a oneness, into a simplicity. And you say, oh, like a million different halachos and shitos and specific cases come from a single cloud, a single principle. Right? All those hundreds of thousands of leaves come from that one seed. All those billions of cells comes from that one zygote. And everything in this physical world, the infinite physical reality that we live in, literally infinite. You know, like the stars are infinite, you can't count them. The sand is infinite, you can't count them. Is it actually infinite? It's not, it doesn't matter. What's the point? The point is that this multitude of expressed physicality of Tunis all stems from oneness. All stems from Rakash Baruch Hu. Shema Yishol Hashem Hashem one day we're going to recognize how this whole world of tuna stems from a world of oneness. Our job is to reveal that. We don't see it now. And Amalek makes sure that we don't see that. But our job is not only intellectually know it, but to express it, to reveal it, to live it, and to help other people experience it as well. So we should to tap into true oneness, true connection true meaning, true purpose, and live a life both knowing the root that everything is one, everything is connected, but also yearning to not only improve our understanding of it, but also how we express it and how we live it in this world.